when the replay official did not stop I, the game. I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that. We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. Coach Carousel talk, is that something you just ignore? Yeah, yeah, you, you ignore because one week you're getting fired and the next week you're going to take another job and I'm worried about the darn SEC West Championship. And so, yes, to answer your question. I'm the man to go get it done with this staff, with this team, with this program. There's not anybody left standing after 2015. All right, I am. And I know what it takes. You build in together, you fight together, and you go find a way to get it done. That's iron sharpening iron. That's the way this thing's got to work, man. We got to know and understand that it's got to be about competition. We're coming. We're coming. And we ain't backing down. Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Breton, and I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? <laughs> hey, babe, what's going on? Hey, doing good, Shane. Another Monday here. You know, it really hit me. We'll get to it in just a moment here with the SEC schedules announced the final regular season week of the season. Man, the season has just flown by, and it's almost over. It's really sad to think about. I know it's. Mm. Uh, I know it can be stressful and it's a lot of work, but uh, this really I'm is emotional. Mike, go easy on me. <laughs> this is the greatest time of the, of the year, and it's it's almost at its tail end. So we just really got to savor each one of these games we got left. Absolutely, we 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 got to spread on three teams, and by God, we're gonna love <laughs> all three teams. <laughs> well, that's a good segue to uh, get into the schedule here. So obviously, Shane, we're still in week thirteen. But the SEC on Monday announced the TV information, the broadcast schedule, and the kickoff times for the final week of the regular season. So let's start right there. Let's just go uh, and keep in mind, Shane, these games are not all on Saturday. They're spread out a little bit because, again, we're talking two weeks ahead. And well, let's jump to Thanksgiving night, Shane, Thursday, November 28th, the Egg Bowl, the one we've all been mm-hmm. waiting for. Mm-hmm. Ole Miss at Mississippi State's going to be a 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central kick on wow. ESPN. That game's going to be a damn war. Friday, Shane, we got the CBS game. Missouri at Arkansas in Little Rock, 2.30 Eastern time, 1.30 Central on CBS. Then we'll kick it over to the Saturday lineup. Man, all these games are outstanding. Louisville at Kentucky. That's going to be a noon kick Eastern on SEC mm. Network. Clemson at South Carolina, also a noon kick on ESPN. Georgia at Georgia Tech, also a noon kick on ABC at noon Eastern time. Alabama at Auburn, the Iron Bowl, 3 o'clock, excuse me, 3.30 Eastern time, 2.30 Central on CBS. Vanderbilt at Tennessee, 4 o'clock Eastern, 3 o'clock Central on SEC Network. Texas A&M at LSU, 7 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Central on ESPN. And then last but not least, Shane, Florida State at Florida, 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central on SEC Network. That's a hell of a lineup right there. <laughs> I love it. 
I love it, man. That that should be a holiday. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that this is good. I love rivalry week. It just it means more. It, I mean, there's part of you you're like, oh man, it's the last game, which it is. You know, it's the. But the other side of you is like, man, this is this is bragging rights. This is talking rights. This is game. This these games that are played will be talked about for 365 days, Mike. Yeah, my only thing, you know, this is a minor thing because I'll soak in all these games. I'll love it, every, all of them, but I almost wish they were spread out even a little bit more. You know, we got <laughs> we got the one game on Friday, maybe kick over. I don't know how fans would feel about a Friday game, but Thursday, you know, is Thanksgiving. They probably got Friday off. Maybe kick a couple mm-hmm. of these down to Friday. Give us, you know, a triple header SEC action on Friday. That way, everybody could really tune in on Saturday games. That's if I was the SEC commissioner, Shane, I'd do it in a heartbeat. But that's, I guess, that's just me being greedy because I, it's so hard to pay attention to three games at once when they're on. But uh, I don't care how these are delivered to me. I'm pretty fired up for them. Absolutely, man. Absolutely, I'm going to take it, and I'm going to be recording the ones I'm not getting to watch, and I'm going to be going back watching them. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that weekend, just like every weekend. But that one's a special one, Mike. Well, Shane, we talk about all these great games. Let's get into this Week 13's Cupcake Weekend. You ready to go around the league? Yeah, you might have to play this intro twice to make this pod longer. (laughs) Now let's go around the league. league. My my daughters said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald. So uh, I'm gonna wear a hat from here on out. I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think I think it's an injustice for the kids. They should we should mix those games up and you should um, you know play more teams from the West. Why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us, and we'll play them. We'll play anybody you can get to play us. In Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey, guys. Hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. All right, Shane, let's start in Athens. Where old Kirby Smart met with the media here on Monday, and uh, this is – Definitely the highlight of the week 13 slate. We only got three SEC games, Shane, and we're even going to hold off one of them for the next show because we're going to wait for Barry Odom to speak. So we'll break down more of Tennessee at Missouri on the next edition. But on this one, Shane, we're going to start it off here. Georgia hosting Texas A&M. Georgia has obviously already clinched the East. Texas A&M still got a lot to prove, but they're – they're looking like one of the most improved teams in the SEC. They don't have only a handful of seniors on the roster. They got more freshman starters than they got seniors on the entire team. So this is uh, this is going to be a really interesting game here, Shane. And this could be, you know, I think we're still waiting a little bit for Jimbo's signature win here at Texas A&M. I guess you could say last year against LSU because that was the first time the Aggies had beaten LSU as a SEC member. You could kind of count that one, but, mm-hmm. man, beating Georgia, a top-four team with such a young roster, that would be what the Aggies are looking for to build on heading into 2020, wouldn't it? It's been a long time since they've had a signature win, you know, and this this could be it. This, this could pad Jimbo's resume and, and just – 
I don't know, just make everyone excited down there that they are spending that much money for this head ball coach, you know. The, the expectations are high at Texas A&M, and it's because of games like this. They're paying him that money to win these type of games. So is it this week? I don't know. Uh, it's a tough matchup, but uh, the way he's got these boys playing here of late, there's, I mean, they've got a better shot than most teams in the SEC. Mm-hmm. Now flipping over to Georgia, obviously – Already clinched the East, headed towards Atlanta. You got up. You can't look ahead. I mean, that's something I hit on the last episode. Kirby Smart mentioned it three times in about a nine-minute window. There, <laughs> we are not talking about clinching. We're we're on to Texas A and M because this is a team that'll get you if you're not if you don't take them seriously. If they look over the Aggies to that, you know, maybe even Georgia Tech, or obviously to the championship game in Atlanta, likely against LSU. They will get beat by these Aggies. So that's something that Kirby Smart's going to have to be battling this all week. But, you know, he's got a relatively young defense, but there's there's leadership there. And, and clearly on offense, they've got a ton of juniors and seniors that they can rely on. So I'm not really too concerned that Georgia's going to overlook Texas A&M in this one. But I think this game could be a lot closer than this spread is currently at. I mean, we've got – Georgia favored by two touchdowns here. Mm-hmm. Any concern with, with you, Shane, that even if Georgia – because, you know, I don't want to – I'm not trying to dismiss Texas A&M here. Let's say Georgia takes them fully seriously, but Texas A&M plays their best football of the season, which they have been for weeks now. Can the Aggies come into Athens here and pull off the start? I mean, remember, Georgia's already lost once at home to a <laughs> South Carolina team that Texas A&M just blew off the field. Yeah, I, I think – I, I think anything's possible. I mean, just like you said, the South Carolina-Georgia game proves that anything can happen in the SEC. And and these guys, they, they can't overlook Texas A&M. This is not one of their easiest teams that they've played this year. You know, this, I think, is more of the well-balanced teams that they've faced. And uh, they're going to have their hands full with them. And, and if they are overlooking, if they're already thinking about the SEC championship, yeah, then they could have – I mean – there's a, a, a great possibility of them slipping up. But I think Kirby's been here before. He knows – I mean, he the fact that they have overlooked a team like South Carolina and got beat by them, I think that helps, you know, uh, especially in preparation this week that, hey, you can't overlook anybody and because and, look what happens last time we did. Mm-hmm. And I think it's pretty interesting, some of these comments, we'll get to them in just a moment here, but, you know, Kirby – And Jimbo, they're both very complimentary of each other. They know each other well. I don't know how much time – I think they were at – I don't know. I I don't know that they ever worked together, but obviously in the same coaching circles, often through the Nick Saban coaching tree, they're very familiar with each other. They've competed against each other. Ton of respect. But I really thought it was interesting how Kirby Smart kind of noted that you know, in today's day and age of college football with the spread offenses that Jimbo Fisher still, he's not running an old school offense necessarily, but, you know, it was all the rage about 20 years ago, 15 years ago, but that's kind of what Jimbo's still running. And now that defenses have adjusted to the spread, they don't really know how to handle his pro style offense that well when it's being executed. So mm-hmm. that's something that Georgia's going to have to contend with. And, you know, we keep talking Georgia with this outstanding defense. They're playing a Auburn team that I don't want to call it a high school offense, but you know it's going to be night and day different from this pro style. They're about to see any concern that uh, 
I don't want to say Georgia's going to get exposed because I don't think that's the right word, but maybe, you know, we see some maybe weaknesses in their defense that we haven't seen in basically all season because they've not faced an offense quite like this. I don't think so, Mike. I, I think, you know, I've been pumping up Georgia here the last few weeks as the best defense in the nation. So I, I don't see why a different style or different scheme is going to change that. Mm-hmm. You know, if they keep playing like they've been playing, which is lots out, stopping the run and, and, and you know, actually stopping everything. Hell, these guys are, are, I mean, they're holding teams to like 10 points a game. You know what I'm saying? This is a... This is a fantastic defense, and a lot of that has to do with offense, you know, keeping the chains moving and keeping them off the field so when they do come in, they're fresh. So I think the pressure is going to be on Texas A&M's offense just moving the chains and, and making this a balanced uh, a balanced game. All right, Shane, well, let's kick it over to Kirby Smart, who previewed Texas A&M, talking about uh, Kellen Mon and just the progression he's seen in that quarterback from his high school career to now on Texas A&M's unique running game, uh, on Georgia's outstanding running defense. And then I thought this was really fascinating here, just Kirby's thoughts on why we're seeing so many quarterbacks go down this SEC season. Very much so. He has probably improved as much as a player from high school to now as any quarterback I've ever seen. I liken it to when, when Dak first went to Mississippi State and Dan took him and did all these really good things with him. Jimbo has really, I mean, this, this kid has a tremendous arm talent. We know the athlete he is. We know he can run, but that's not, you know, it's not like you say, well, this guy's a runner first. He's a really good passer. And the beauty of it is he's, he, he plays in a pro-style offense and throws to some really good weapons and checks things, moves things around, but is extremely athletic. And when I say athletic, I don't mean like, oh, he's going to scramble for a first down. I mean, when he takes off running, he continues running. And there's guys out there that just can't catch him and he, he doesn't always look to do that but uh when he does it's extremely dangerous so it makes you play him uh a different kind of way so we, we've got a you know we got a tough tough charge in front of us kirby with with spiller and richardson they each went over 125 against south carolina the other night and a lot of their damage was done when they're both in the backfield i yeah. mean they were clearing holes for each other uh for years we watched two back sets but with yeah. what they're doing uh, how unique is it, and how much do you see that, and, and how challenging will that be? I hate to compare it, but, it, I mean, it's completely different football, so don't misquote me on this. But it's like the triple option of today when you have two backs in the backfield because nobody knows really how to defend it anymore. I mean, Coach Dooley's back there. He could probably tell you how to defend it because you toss the ball and you run a sweep, and nobody knows how to, ha- how to handle a lead blocker. Now, they don't do that all the time. Don't, don't get me wrong. But when they do it, they're very efficient. I mean, he still has option plays, and it, uh, it it keeps people honest. It keeps you from saying, well, I'm going to do an overload this way or I'm going to do one of these unsound defenses to go attack the quarterback when they run an option play. And uh, they do a tremendous job of it. They're very different runners, but he, he did those some of those same things at FSU when he had Dalvin. You know, he uses the stretch ball. I mean, he uses some different plays to really highlight the two backs he has. And, uh, they're, they're running the ball more and more efficiently as the seasons. Like, you can see how they've gotten better and better and better at running the ball every game, and it really came to fruition against South Carolina. Kirby, from your perspective, what has contributed to the improvement in the run defense from last year to this, especially with you know a lot of the same personnel coming back from last year? I think Dan's done a good job. This is no knock on Mel because I'm as much responsible for it as anything. Dan's done a good job of uh, of bringing – 
you know, whether it's new ideas, uh, you know, less less risk averse. Uh, we got secondary back. I mean, when you got a new secondary and you got true freshmen, true freshmen or sophomore that haven't played back there making a lot of calls. Last year's defense was almost so completely new because if you go back to the year before that, there were kids that had played for three and four years off that that team that went to the national championship. So it was it was a tough year defensively, man. You were you were you were holding on every time somebody moved or motioned. This year, you feel more comfortable being aggressive, and uh, we're reaping the benefits of experience. Last SEC game in the regular season, but it's the first SEC team that you've played that has a starting quarterback who was the starter a year ago. Mm -hmm. I know a couple of times it's been freshmen you faced, like with Knicks this past weekend, but even with Tua's situation this past week, do, does it seem like quarterbacks to you are getting hurt more often? And, and I know Nick after the game said, I don't, I don't put injuries in my thinking when they can play. If they're healthy, they play. I don't. Do you, do you find yourself thinking more about injuries? And I'm just kind of curious about that quarterback position, why it seems to be happening more than ever. Well, I think this has been talked about several times. So your people have asked me this question. I do think they're getting hurt at a little higher rate than usual. I don't know if that's a, a outlier or if that's going to become the norm. I think it's because design of offenses is all NFL mentality, get the backs out, get everybody out. You don't see people max protect. You don't see people seven-man protect. You see people run their quarterbacks. That's an extra option to rush the ball. Um, as offenses have grown and scoring has exploded, so has the exposure of quarterbacks. And defenses take less regard for contain, for true base defensive principles, and all they look for is how can I hit your quarterback. Right, wrong, or indifferent, that's what they're trying to do. It's what we try to do. That's what everybody tries to do. So when you do that, they get hit more. And when they get hit more, they get injured more. And I don't think the trend's going to go away. I think our conference and NCAA rules are trying to protect quarterbacks more. So we actually coach the decision you make to stay off the quarterback because that'll kill you. And they're protecting them. But ultimately, they're getting hit more. I mean, legally hit. And that creates more injuries, which is tough. All right, Shane, so you clearly there you can see the respect that Kirby's got for this <laughs> Texas A&M team here. And then, you know, find, on that last thing he hit on, so many guys going down due to injury, um, I mean, I think he might be onto something here because just the way the game has changed, it's become more wide open. And obviously he would know as a defensive guy, the goal is to hit the quarterback as much as you can. And, and maybe that's why these guys are dropping like flies. Yeah. Well, I think – well, first off, Kirby's never faced a quarterback he didn't love, does he? <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> Every time we, we hear him, he's talking about how great this team is and how great the quarterback he is. Uh, that's just a respect thing. Now, as far as uh, you know, quarterbacks getting banged up, yeah, it's a it's a it's a different animal these days. And uh, I mean, most teams are running these run pass options. I mean, it's 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 an option. You know, there's quarterbacks holding on to the ball a lot longer than they should, and they're having to make these decisions. And sometimes they tuck and and they get hit. So it's a physical game. The athletes are getting more physical. I mean, they're getting bigger. They're getting faster too. Uh, that's a factor. And you know, you know, something like when you look at the NFL, I think they have a lot more rules to protect the quarterback. You know, a lot of people get on to them about late hits and stuff. You see some of these penalties. I, I, I see something like that eventually moving its way into college football, especially when you see more and more quarterbacks like Tua getting, getting knocked out of games, you know. Last thing here on the Bulldogs, 
Kirby updated kind of the injury list here. Cade Mays, not scheduled to practice on Mondays. They hope to get him back later in the week. So that's an important note. Ben Cleveland also, quote-unquote, still fighting. He's hopeful that, the, that he'll be able to practice this week. And then Lawrence Cager, their number one receiver, cleared to practice. So that's great news for the Bulldogs. They're going to need uh, particularly Cager in this game. And a last thing I wanted to mention here, I know this is outside the football team, Shane, but I just really wanted to give uh, Georgia a shout-out here because diehard Bulldog fans uh, should know this name. Uh, from Bulldog Illustrated, Murray Poole, Shane. He's the beat writer there, cover Georgia Bulldogs. Mm-hmm. This is going to be his last home game, I believe, covering the team. He's been covering the team for 54 years, Shane. Oh, wow. Before this press conference, they came, they brought him up on stage and presented him with a 54 Georgia Bulldog jersey with his name on it. I just thought that was really cool. And can you imagine, Shane? I mean covering a team for 54 years imagine doing this podcast for 54 years i mean hell mike i just want to live 54 years <laughs> exactly so you know just shout out to murray pool there's outstanding and uh i just thought that was a great honor there for georgia to do that real cool i like that man all right shane flipping down to the other side of this one let's go to college station giga maggots jimbo fisher met with the media here on monday and you know like I said, he's still looking, I think, for that signature win. Not to say that his tenure is not on the right foot. Clearly it is. I mean, they they continue to win big. They fixed the strength and conditioning issues. They fixed, you know, the team collapsing down the stretch and recruiting is just off the wall since Jimbo Fisher's gotten there. So, I mean, big things are there for the Aggies. But you can say all the things you want to say. All the narratives looking good. You still got to win. And in the SEC, you got to win these big games. Mm-hmm. Jimbo and his Aggies have, have yet to really find a way to do that. Much of the his tenure there, I know it's been fairly brief, but uh, you know, I just really think that uh, this this is such a critical game here to to kind of flip the narrative. And I don't know. I just got a I got a feeling that the Aggies are going to make this one a, a really good game here. Particularly, I know. It's not as simple as this, but in these big games, it seems like if Kellen Mond comes out and plays his best football, it seems like the Aggies are right there in it. Yeah, I mean, you know, Aggies did beat LSU. <laughs> now, it was last year, but mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. They, they've they got plenty of talent on this team, and uh, like, you know, like we've been talking about for, for a while now, it's these young kids that, that are stepping up. It's the running back. It's the, you know, I, I think at this moment, I think they have one of the best tight ends in the SEC. It's just this young talent is progressing all over the field. You're seeing that they're not, and the ones that you don't see, you better believe are pushing the other ones in practice. So uh, I, I just I don't know. I if you're a Texas A&M fan, you've got to be pretty excited about the the development and the and the growth of your team through the year. Uh, have you had some defeats that you'd like to have back? Absolutely. But, you know, this this game right here, it's a sneaky one. It's just sitting right there right before rivalry week, and a lot of people are overlooking it. And um, I, I just think it's going to be a – I think it's going to be a, a, a great game, dude. I just – I think this one could come down to the wire. Now imagine this – I'm certainly not predicting this is going to happen, Shane, but imagine Texas A&M beats Georgia on the road, and then next week – they go to LSU. If LSU takes care of business and beat Arkansas, they'll have locked up the West. 
the Aggies beat LSU. Could, could you imagine being an Aggie fan going into the offseason and say, hell, we beat the SEC East champion, we beat the SEC West champion, and we got everything in front. I mean, God, I, I think the Texas a, A&M would have about more bragging rights than anybody. Absolutely. <laughs> they done put Jimbo's statue up down there. You know? <laughs> Uh, let's don't get the cart in front of the horse. Let's win, let's win one of them first, Mike. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of Jimbo Shane, let's kick it over to him. On uh, you know, He talked about uh, how his freshmen, uh, they kind of have hit a freshman wall, but it was previous in the season and not currently at the time of year. You, you kind of be expecting that to happen. Um, I really thought this comment here really stood out about how they, you know, how you perform in critical situations, how you prepare every day. I thought that was great. And then Jimbo's breakdown of Jake Fromm and Georgia's outstanding running game. Yeah, Coach, we hear about the freshman wall. Uh, you know, guys in their first year that at some point start to decline. But that hasn't been an issue with your guys. Why do you think that? Well, I, I think there was, there was some times earlier in the year I think it was there. Sometimes the fatigue early. I think there was a lot more early than you thought because you didn't see it. I mean, you recognize it with youth, but they were hitting it because they, some of them got really put in tough situations where they were starters not in games six, seven, and eight. But in games two, three, and four, and five, I mean, there was, there was, I mean, it was how to prepare, how to practice, the wear and tear on you mentally, psychologically, of playing at that high level, and some of the teams at which we were playing early in the season, you know, that that wear and tear. They, there was a wall there, and they, but they kept, they just kept playing, they just kept playing, they learned through it, they fought through it, and I've gotten better, and hopefully, you know, we can get, you know, play the last two games before we hit another wall, and then we can regroup for a bowl game. But uh. Jimbo, a couple of your guys talked about not letting the moment get bigger than really what it is. Yes. Um, and how do you go about making sure that they have that mentality of taking it one play at a time? Well, here's the thing. I mean, how you practice. Because here's what happens. No matter what you go to a situation, when you get to pressure situations and things start to happen, you think are happening too fast, here's what happens to every human being in this world. Your habits come straight to the surface. What you do daily, what you think, what you believe, and you don't even realize it because instinct kicks in. Okay, and by making sure you practice right and create the right habits. So if those situations do occur, hopefully those habits come to come to light, because I believe you don't win because you want to. You win because you train to and how you train and how you practice, because those things keep coming out. They, 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 they pull. You can't not do what you do in practice because it's what you do daily, which makes it is, is who you are. And so you make sure your practice habits and your process is right. So in those situations come and, and I think experience is the other thing. I've experienced some really tough situations we've been in and some teams we've played, so hopefully that'll help us down the stretch right here. Coach, you all face some really good quarterbacks this year. How does Fromm stack up against some of those? As good as anybody in the country. Listen, this guy, he understands how to – see, here everybody's talking about, does this guy run? Does he throw? What's his number? What you better ask is, does a guy understand how to win? That's the number one thing you ask of a quarterback, just like our guy. You talk about our guy right now? You talk about selfless, can play, tough, leadership, guys love him play for him, do everything in the world for him. They love him, man. And Fromm reminds me of that same type of mode. Kellen, I'll speak about Kellen in a minute. I'm, I'm so happy with him. It's ridiculous in what he's doing. And everything isn't totally perfect. It's never perfect. But the things he does and the way our team responds, it's, it's incredible. The leadership and toughness he shows. And that's why our team is playing that way. When the quarterback's tough, it does. And that's indicative of Georgia. Fromm's the same type of guy. Guy's selfless, make all the throws, make all the runs. All he does is make the right decisions, take care of the football, and they win games and move the football. To me, that's, that's what a quarterback is. We get caught in all these other things. Fromm is an re- excellent, excellent football player. Coach, the way you guys played defensively against South Carolina, especially against the run, is that kind of the, the recipe for success against Georgia? Well, yeah. I mean, listen, Georgia, Georgia first and foremost, Georgia's going to run the football. Tremendous offensive line, tremendous backs, tight ends. That's their forte. That's their identity. 
And, you know, you're never going to shut them down, but you have to be able to play it. You have to match the physicality and toughness, and it'll be a huge challenge for our defense. All right, Shane, I, I just really appreciate these uh, coaching insights from Jimbo. It seems like we get them from him more than a lot of the other coaches there, so that's kind of why I wanted to include that one clip. But uh, really interesting what he had to say about his freshmen kind of hitting a wall there kind of early in the season, and now they're kind of hitting their stride. And, it, I mean, that's clearly translated to the field, if you ask me. Absolutely, man. I mean, it's it's it goes back to fundamental football. A lot of these kids, a lot of these freshmen, you got to realize, dude, that they're coming from a high school that they dominated. And so the little things they may not have learned, you know, just the simple, just the simple practice maneuvers, the simple techniques, things like that, that they just didn't have to do because they dominated the guy in front of them. You know, now you get to college ball and it's different because you're surrounded by athletes that are just as good as you. And so I think that's why it takes so long for some of these freshmen to to gravitate or grab a hold of what the coach is telling you to do, because you still think you're the man, you're the big man on campus. And but once you start using those techniques, once you start playing fundamental football and it, it all of a sudden there's like that aha moment. And I think Texas A&M starting to hit it and like, okay, I see this. It's starting to make sense. I see why we were practicing this so hard in the offseason. I see why we were hitting this so hard last week, you know, uh, why he was on to me during film study. I think that's the, a lot of these kids are just growing up, man. And um, that's, that's, and it's starting to show up on the field. Mm-hmm. All right, Shane, let's jump on down to Baton Rouge. Go Tigers. Where Coach O met with the media here to break down Tigers matchup with Arkansas. Uh, you know, I thought it was pretty interesting, Shane, because I've been seeing a lot of these reactions, a lot of people coming out questioning LSU. I know I did it a little bit there on the last pod, said, you know, I don't think this team can win a national championship playing this type of defense. But I also think people, it's a good thing listeners to this pod, they know how we feel about John Rice Plumley. We were yeah. telling everybody to watch out for this kid. So I, I certainly wasn't shocked that he did what he did to LSU. But uh, it, it seems like there's a lot of uproar, and I've seen particularly a lot of Georgia fans, Shane, pump out their chest. I think they like their chances a little bit more in the SEC title game if they obviously more than likely going to face LSU. So let me ask you that, Shane. Based on what you saw from LSU last week against Ole Miss and what we've seen from Georgia and their improving defense, you any more? I don't want. I don't know where your confidence level is, but you know, maybe we're not predicting the game right now. But Georgia beating LSU in the SEC championship, would you consider that even a shock? Would you consider that an upset? Uh, just what's your thoughts on your early thoughts on that matchup? At this moment, I would I would consider it an upset if Georgia beat LSU. And, you know, the thing is, LSU, it feels like they, they're kind of mirroring whoever they're playing. And if they play a team that's got an upbeat offense, that's able to move the ball, it's able to score fast, it just seems like LSU has the ability to score faster, mm-hmm. has the ability to move the ball quicker and, and further down the field. So, And then if they play a team that – you know, that they can dominate. They just, that's what they do. They dominate, they sit on the ball and they, you know, run the clock out. So I, I, that worries me because if it got in any type of a shootout with the Georgia Bulldogs, Georgia hasn't shown me one, one 
game. I mean, one one half that they're able to keep up with that type of high, you know, just that high fluting offense, man. Mm-hmm. You know, they their their strong suit is ground and pound, run the clock, keep your defense off the field, let them be fresh when they come in, and and if they're not able to do that, what happens when they go in panic mode? The last time they went in panic mode, they got beat by South Carolina. So, yeah, I'm I'm a little worried, and I hate to keep bringing up South Carolina because I think it was kind of, it may have been a fluke game, you know what I'm saying? But it also showed that there's a chink in this armor and if they, if they can't build, if they can't get some offense going and this, like I said, it got it any type of shootout. I'd just be afraid that LSU would run away with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's fair to say. I can't really argue with any of that, but just want to get your thoughts on that. Cause I know bulldog fans, Shane, man, they, <laughs> I think they really were eating up that old mess performance i think they like what they're saying they're liking their chances a little bit more now this is this is the thing about the Ole miss game it's like if you didn't watch it and you just saw rushing yards you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. like you just said oh hell we can run you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. you gotta remember plumley's a quarterback you know and a lot of times when he did these runs he was going for a pass and he just tucked it and ran and there was a lot of times that the that the defense was trying to tackle uh, Plumley when he was handing the ball off, and that's why the running back did so well. Jake Fromm's not that type of quarterback, you know. He's not a dual threat. He's, I mean, he has ability to, you know, make yards when he needs to. But mm-hmm. to to compare these two games would be apples and oranges, man. You know, Georgia. I the thing I I like about Georgia is is just how physical they are up front. Now, if they're able to load that box and just keep pounding them just keep moving the chains like they've been able to do all year who knows i mean if if uh if uh, joe sits over there for five ten minutes you know and and comes in and then goes three and out with that high quick offense you know they could it could be a different ball game so again on that flip side it wouldn't surprise me if georgia won the thing so Mm -hmm. this is uh it's just an exciting game and it's two two teams that haven't played either team i mean i mean it's just gonna be exciting i mean that's all i can say about it yeah, and I also to add my thoughts, I mean, we kind of hit on a little bit, but LSU, Ole Miss, just quickly, I'd be a little bit more concerned if LSU didn't jump out to a 28 to nothing lead. And then it, I think it, at that point they just kind of, it's almost like they went into cruise control on defense. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, it's, you know, John Rice Plumley, the reason we love this kid, go back and watch that Cal game because he played – he played the last two series of the game, and the first play he touched, he went for like 54 yards. Next play, touchdown. <laughs> I mean, and then he next week against Alabama, he ran all over them. Next mm-hmm. week, Vanderbilt ran all over them. Next week, Missouri ran. All, I mean, it's just this. He's just special. I mean, it's just yeah. it's him. You know what I mean? So, again, I'm not not too concerned about LSU, but it's got to be something, and that's something that Ed Orgeron hit on Shane after uh, on Monday on his reaction to his team's poor defense in that game he didn't really go crazy kind of explains it uh, on and then this is kind of interesting because obviously Arkansas's got a interim coach with Barry Lunny Jr. Uh, coach O's got some experience with that we all know he's got some experience with that twice so he's, yeah. he's got a great cookie comment here <laughs> and then on uh, and then on making changes to his LSU program to make them elite again Ed, after the game, um, you know, I think a lot of us were expecting you to be angry, you know, about the defensive performance. But right away, you were talking about the positives. Yeah. Why is it important to keep, 
you know, everything in perspective, mm -hmm. I guess, and, and kind of weigh where you are and what, and what yeah. you still have left to do. Yeah. You know, I kind of – I try to see the feeling of the football team, and uh, I knew they were a little disappointed. And I think I'd have just added fuel to the fire there. I thought they needed to be picked up a little bit and to compliment them on a win and not take for granted winning. And, um, you know, we've been on some other teams that might have went there and not, not played so well and might not have won that game and had a hangover. I didn't think we had a hangover. I thought we played well in the first half. I think they made some plays. I think we didn't have some answers on those plays. I think that's what it was. But I wanted to give them confidence how much I believe in them. You said that uh, Saturday night after the game, he didn't want to be too hard on everybody. But mm -hmm. today's to tell, tell the truth Monday. Yeah. So what is your message to your defense yeah. about if you want to achieve what you're yeah. in for, this is what you got to do? You know, the first thing I, I, I do is look at myself. And, uh, you know, I coach the defensive line with those guys too. So I, I, I look at the way we went practice uh, last week. I look at what we showed them in practice, what we didn't show them in practice. I look at coaches, what we can get better. Hey, yesterday we spent three hours on maybe four plays. Hey, what do we need to do to get put our guys in better position? I want to make sure as the leaders of the program, we're giving them the right thing at the right time to do. Okay, now, so we're going to give them that today, and we're going to put them in great position, and obviously they're going to have to make the play. So I think it's a combination of both, but I'm never going to put it on the players. I'm going to put it on me first. Ed, you referenced being an interim coach at one time. Two questions out of that. Does, it, does a team automatically get a lift from a coaching change? Mm -hmm. And secondly, given what happened at Alabama, do you think, and, and maybe the quality of the opposition you got this week, you don't want to put them down, do you maybe have a mindset of, like you said, protect your, protect your injured players, get your starters out because of what you got ahead? Always. Always, no question. Now, we're going to go into the team, uh, this game, expecting a battle. But if you, we get into the game and we we winning by a certain amount, I'm taking guys out. I'm taking guys out as soon as I can. Now, that doesn't mean I'd have took two out. I'm not saying that. I don't know that. I don't know. It's hard to take guys out before the first half. You know, teams can come back, especially in the SEC. You know what I'm saying? Now, what was the first? An interim coach. Yeah. I think they get juice. I mean, every time I've been an interim coaching, the next week we came out on fire. I mean, you, you, but you try to change things up. You try to flip the script. Uh, get your coaches home early. You know, uh, you know I fed the, I fed them uh, cookies. I think they ate five hundred cookies the first day. Man, everybody was happy. So, coach, I know when you got here, you talked about having to change some things internally to get where you are today. Can you give us an example or two of of some of the things that you felt that you had to do, mm -hmm. not with mm -hmm. just player acquisition, but with mm -hmm. just other yep. things to make the program elite yeah. again? Well, in order to be the leader, you have to do the things that you believe in, not what somebody else did. You can't, I can't do what somebody else did. That's not me. I wanted this to be one team, one heartbeat. I didn't want this to be a team of individuals, guys want to make All-American and be first-round draft choices. I wanted us to be a team that played for each other, a team that fought for each other. And I wanted to be a coach that coached from within, not above. And I wanted everybody to have the same role. Everybody's role from the manager to the head coaches is equal. We all have to do our jobs 
in order for this to have success. And I wanted this place to be a, a place where you want to come to work. I think we've all had jobs where you want to come to work. You get up, you listen to different music, you get there early, you work, you're more productive. We've all been at jobs where you hit the snooze button, work starts at 8, you show up at 7.59, you punch the clock, you can't wait till the bell rings at 3 o'clock. I didn't want this to be that type of job. So I think that the atmosphere within the building, I think guys, people are happy. I'm not saying it wasn't before because I enjoyed working for Coach Miles. But I wanted it to be a, an atmosphere that everybody was pulling on the same side of the rope. Everybody had the same type of role, and everybody wanted to be together. Now, obviously get great players and great, get great coaches. All right, Shane. So Coach O likes to <laughs> hand out them cookies. Yeah, uh, I hope old uh, Barry's handing out cookies in Fayetteville this week and gets Arkansas <laughs> going for this one. <laughs> uh, I thought I thought the 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 best part was just you know there's a little uptick when you lose a coach. You know the players, it's like a reset button, and I, I think even though you know they're favored by 50 points, you know I still think that we're going to see Arkan one of Arkansas's best games this coming up week. Uh, uh, because they're going to be playing with a little bit more of a chip on their shoulder, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's to defend Coach Morris or whether it's, you know, they've got a, an opportunity to show the next head coach who they are. You know, I mean, there's just there's just something about the buy-in. So I, I was glad he brought that up. Uh, and, and it's just – it's a – you know, I, I they're not a sneaky team because I mean it's a forty-something point game, but uh, you know I, I really looking for a, a, at least a good uh, effort by Arkansas this week. Well, let's jump on down to Fayetteville, Shane. Where Woo Pig, like I noted there, Barry Lunny Jr., obviously the interim coach now for Old Chad Morris, and I'm proud to say I know we didn't play it. We like to mix the intros up, but the next time you hear the intro, Shane, with Arkansas. We got rid of old Chode Morris. We got a Barry Lunny <laughs> clip in there. We did that for you Razorback fans. But, you know, kicking back over to this game, you know, it's interesting that, uh, yeah, I mean, Arkansas, what are they going to have to lose coming into this one? 46-point underdogs. I mean, everyone thinks they're a damn joke. But keep in mind, there's talent all over this roster. I know, uh, I believe he was asked – I, I can't remember if it was this presser or the one previously, but CGO Grady is not returning, which is unfortunate, but they could certainly use him for this one. But aside from him, I mean, they still got plenty of talent, and I love the fact that he's really mixing things up. He's being firm about the quarterback. He's going to talk about that in just a moment. You know, a decision has been made, but there's no reason to let LSU know about it. And then he's not allowing players to meet with the media and i think that's a great move because they're just going to get damn peppered with mm-hmm. you know what do you think about chad morris getting fired what was your reaction to chad morris getting fired how'd you yeah. find out chad morris got fired mm-hmm. what's it feel like to be a 50 point underdog you know like <laughs> there's just going to be nothing but negativity and yeah. they don't need that right now they just need to have fun that was a big reason they got rid of chad you have fun on the field Yes, you're playing number one at their place. Is you're, No one is expecting you to even compete. Not I'm not even mm-hmm. talking about winning. Uh, so just go out there and just let loose. And, hell, just from this, this presser, Shane, old Barry Lunny, I think he's an upgrade over Chad. Barry is a breath of fresh air, brother. Um, I, I, there's a couple of things. One, he's good on the mic. 
you know, you got to have that to be a head coach. So that's important. Um, another thing that I, I like is the quarterback thing. You know, he just came out and said, "There's, there's." He shot down quarterback controversy, something that Arkansas has had since the start of the year, man. Since I mean, last year, <laughs> yeah, I, ever since Morris <laughs> took the job. You know, it's like he's like, "No, we know who the quarterback is. We're just not going to tell you." You know that that makes me feel better as if you're an Arkansas fan. I would think you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so and, and then you know I think it's very important not letting the players, like you said, get around that negativity. They don't. They they've had a lot thrown at them here lately. You know, there's some that may even be thinking about uh, exploring other options. You know, that's also a possibility. You know, there's a lot weighing on these kids. So uh, I think this is a good time for them to just kind of build. Uh, I think I think coach is going to come out and um, he's. I think they're going to leave it all on the field this week. So um, no, I first impression I like. Well, let's kick it over to uh, Coach Lunny Shane, and then of course he <laughs> he he was even asked about the damn point spread by old uh, Bob Holt, the guy, the crazy guy on all the calls, Arkansas media legend here. I just thought it was great that uh, I can't believe he asked a question, but I, I thought his response was pretty funny. Yeah, Barry, this would be a tough situation under any circumstances, but having to have your first game as interim coach on the road at the number one team, uh, just, I mean, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I guess you just you go all in, right? I mean, you get it. if you're going to do it, you, you go on on the road, you play the number one team in the country. Uh, you know, it is what it is. I mean, and the truth is, Bob, uh, our, our mantra, our, our attitude, our approach uh, would be the same if we were playing Portland State again this week, you know, in a rematch of them. It's, it's about us. It's about uh, us playing our best football game that we've played all season long, period. End of story. All three phases. Uh, it just so happens to be that we are playing right now the best football team in the country, according to the uh, not only the poll but the body of work through the course of the year. I mean, you, I'm sure you can argue some other guys that are just you know even with them. And that's not my job to do that. But just where they stand right now, yeah, they they clearly are the best. Uh, we are going to one of the best environments in all of college football at night, uh, and we've got some guys that have, have visited that stadium before. And um, but the bottom line is, is it's about us. Coach, you have K.J. Jefferson and John Stephen Jones listed either or at the quarterback position on the depth chart. What's it going to take for one of those guys to stand out this week to be the starter? Well, that's already done. That, that die is already cast, I think, the way we're heading. And so, uh, But, it, again, we talked about this. At this point, do I think that – or do we think that, you know, holding our announcement of a starting quarterback is going to be a significant advantage for our opponent? No, it's not. But at this point, we would be foolish, in my opinion, to declare that to just clarify it for them so they can know exactly who they're preparing for and what they're preparing for. And, and so that's really the decision that I made is just at this point, I just didn't see any justification for us to go ahead and declare that, but we know the direction we're going. Uh, and, um, and we're giving other guys the opportunity to compete because, I mean, it's a quirky game and, um, you know, it's football. And so you got to have a guy ready. And we got, we got guys ready, but we know the direction we're heading with that. I'm not sure what the line might have moved to this morning, but yesterday the line came out at like 47 points, 46 and a half, something like that. What's your what, what's your take on that? Oh, I don't, no, I don't know to anybody around the building. I mean, I, I mean, I may, they, I'm sure maybe our players have heard about that, but I don't put any stock into that, and I, and I don't mean that to undermine what they've said it at. I'm just saying that as a football coach, if you 
if you let outside noise and situations like that affect the way you plan and prepare and practice and let that you think about that, then I mean you're in the wrong business. You know, it just is. It is what it is. And again, our focus, uh, our focus is to play our best football game that we played all year long. Uh, Barry, we've talked to players on Tuesday. Have you guys made the decision? Players are talking with us tomorrow. No, I'm not. I'm not going to let them talk to you for the next couple of days. I'm going to let them concentrate and. Uh, focus at the task at hand and then make them available to you after the game this week. It's been a lot for them to handle and digest. Uh, I think unity is really important here, and I have, no, I have no concerns that any of our players would get up here and say something that didn't reflect that. But just for the time and situation that we're in, um, I made a decision that I'm going to be the voice right now, and that's just what we're going to do. I know you guys won't agree with that, but that's, that's what we're going to do, and I hope you guys can respect that. Yeah, like, I, I don't know, I just, I get a sense that uh, things are going to be a little bit better here this week in Arkansas. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm really curious to see how this plays out because, well, for one, it's one of the only damn SEC matchups we got this week. But, I don't know, I just think that uh, Arkansas desperately, desperately needed, you know, a change of leadership. And I think it's going to show immediately on the field against LSU. Mark. If they go down there and they win this thing, do you give them the job? I'd give them two of that night. I mean, how could you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was just going to say, now I know it's it's improbable, you know, but so is winning the lottery, but I still buy a ticket every now and then. And you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you never know. Shoot your shot, coach, because this may be the one – that they talk about for years. You may be the new Appalachian State. <laughs> yeah, we're well, just, I mean, just look across the sideline at Ed Orgeron. He did it, uh, you know, at LSU. And there's, I know, mm-hmm. I know it's number one team in the nation, but I think it, the goal's just got to be respectable. And then we all see what Missouri's doing. I mean, hell, they've lost, what, five in a row? Mm-hmm. Tennessee beats Missouri six in a row. Finish it off right in Little Rock. Do it for these seniors, do it for your fans. And that that may not be enough to win him the job, but hell, that'll be something to put on his resume for the next time he does have a head coaching opportunity. Or I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just uh, being a, a Razorback himself, I think it'll just mean that much more to everybody. Yeah, for sure. All right, Shane. Final team I want to hit on here today. Let's jump on down to Tuscaloosa. Roll Tide. Coach Saban, you know, he got pretty emotional. Shane talking about two of the, believe it. You know, no surprise here. This presser was basically all about Tua. And mm-hmm. he was asked a little bit about Mac Jones and then on the leadership void with obviously Dylan Moses out, now Tua's out. I mean, they're, they're, they've lost so much. Uh, let's kick it over to Coach Saban, and then we'll discuss it on the back end. Tua situation, and look, you know, we lost a great leader, uh, a great player on our team, and we're all hurting because of it. And uh, just like any time you lose somebody in your family, uh, for whatever reasons, uh, everybody in the family is hurting. And this is all about people, and this is all about the person. Um, And, you know, we're pleased that the surgery went successfully, you know, today, and they expect him to have a full recovery. Um, Look, I've talked to Tua. I I feel bad. I'm hurting. All right, but so I call him on Saturday night to cheer him up. He cheers me up. I call him last night because I've been sitting in that room for 10 hours yesterday watching film. I call him to cheer him up. He cheers me up. Uh, So this is a guy that has great spirit. 
Uh, he's very positive uh, about just about everything he does and the effect that he has on other people. Uh, I think he's been a you know, great ambassador for college football in terms of the class that he shows and the way he goes about what he does and how he affects other people. Uh, and I don't think there's any way that any of us can say we won't miss that spirit uh, that he has. And, you know, the first thing he says to me last night when I tell him good luck in your surgery tomorrow is he said, well, I just can't wait to get back and see the game on Saturday. Coach, with, with Mac now the number one guy, what are the qualities he brings and, and going forth for the rest of the year? What do you look for from Mac, and does the, how does the offense change with Mac? Well, I don't think the offense changes much at all. I mean, Mac played in the Arkansas game and uh, did a nice job, and I think he was 18 for 22 or whatever. And, um, you know, he's smart. He understands the offense. He's made a lot of improvement throughout the course of the year. Um, we have a lot of confidence in Mac, and, um, you know, I think – you know, Sark's done a really good job of helping him develop throughout the year. So, um, you know, I, we're not we're not changing what we do. Um, you know, Mac is a very capable guy. He's a smart guy, and um, we have a lot of confidence in what he can do and what he will do for us. You said that you lost a great leader in Tua. You said the same thing after Dylan Moses's injury. Where do you turn now from a leadership standpoint? Well, I think we have other good leaders on our team. Um, you know, I felt horrible when. Um, and a great loss and a great concern for Dylan when he got hurt as any player. You know, I mean, um, I, I don't love these guys relative to how good of players they are. You know, they're all part of our team. They're all part of our family. Hate to see any of them get hurt. Hate to see any of them make bad choices and decisions that can affect their future or anything that happens to them that could affect their future. And Certainly injuries are a part of the game, um, but it's also a part of life. You know, things always don't go exactly like you want in your life. And, you know, you have to be able to um, play the hand that's dealt you, overcome adversity at times, and, you know, you can actually become stronger because of it. So um, so we, we have other guys on our team that, that are good leaders, and uh, I think everybody has to step up um, and um, fill, the, fill the role. All right, Shane. I thought uh, I thought old Nick was gonna shed a tear too. I didn't know there for a minute. I don't know if he's capable of doing such things, but mm-hmm. I thought for a minute. Uh, I thought he was going to. I just thought the, these were some great comments here, and just kind of a window into just what Tua means to this team. And you know, obviously they're playing Western Carolina. There's not going to be any kind of threat this week, but you know, it, it just kind of goes to show how important he is to this team and. You know, I was thinking before this presser that there's a good chance Alabama goes to Auburn and wins a game. Kind of the way Nick Saban's put it here, I don't know if they – I don't know. I just don't know if they can do it without Tua now. I mean, he's he is a huge part of that offense. But, you know, this team has played without him before. And, you know, I I hate it. I hate what happened, you know. But – I think Saban hates it more, you know, it's something he was saying there. I, I really do think it's been weighing on him and, uh, you know, cause you, you push these kids, you try to get the most out of them that you can. And, and sometimes you push them too hard. And this was, this was, this is not Saban. Saban didn't say, go out there and try to get tackled. You know what I'm saying? This, right. I mean, Tua could have ran this two minute offense, scored a touchdown, got pulled and everything be fine. You know, so 
ifs and buts for candies and nuts, we'd all have a wonderful Christmas, Mike, you know? So, but you gotta, you gotta think that it, that has been weighing on him. The fact that he's been communicating with Tua, that's awesome. I saw some videos coming out with him dancing in his bed there. You know, it seems like he's, he's upbeat or the morphine's kicked in one, you know, so he's doing better. And, and I'm just curious, um, you know, because you, you sent out a tweet earlier about some odds uh, about the NFL. Mm-hmm. Do you think if just you just what do you think the odds are in your mind of Tua actually coming back to the University of Alabama next year? Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, now, that is one of the odds here that I have here. Will he come back plus 300? Will he come back? No minus 500 so the odds heavily favor no now i think obviously we knew that already Mm -hmm. particularly if he's going to be the number one pick it seems you know i'm still not ready to rule him out from being the number one overall pick but i think it would have to be more like whoever does come up with the number one pick maybe they just kind of you know, evaluate these other prospects, whoever it is, whether it's Joe Burrow or uh, the Ohio State defensive end everyone seems to be crazy about, or Andrew Thomas, the left tackle for Georgia. Maybe they, you know, evaluate those guys and they don't like them. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's that's an avenue for Tua to be number one overall still. But I understand that's a, that's a tall task considering his injury. So, yeah, if he could get that assurance, I'm sure there's no chance he comes back, but maybe he hears back medically that, you know, it, it's going to be a year before you play, or maybe not a year, but it's, it may just be so hard for him to kind of prove his value to the NFL. They may advise him to come back. I certainly think him getting injured makes it more likely that he will return. Yeah. But I would still put those odds at about, 20 percent so i i I think he's certainly gonna go on because um you know not that they don't have i think they have some of the best medical staff in the in college football at alabama if not the best but i still think in the nfl it's a little bit you get it a lot better you know like we saw yeah remember that guy uh from miami years ago willis mcgahee the running back blew out his knee in the championship and i thought a lot of people were like why in the hell you mean he's got to come back, right, and do rehab and all this? And he said, no, I'm going pro even though I can't play. And mm-hmm. it, it's all about that, just the year, you know, a year in rehab and not having to worry about classes, getting and you're getting paid while you're doing it on top of it. So I, I just think that's kind of the smarter move, even if Tua can't play next year. I still think, you know, quarterbacks, what do we see in the NFL, Shane? If you have a quarterback, a good quarterback – you are in it to win the Super Bowl every year. If yeah. you don't have a quality quarterback, I mean, you're just hopeless. You got almost no shot to do <laughs> anything. And I think these teams are going to see that in Tua, where, you know, there's going to be some teams that maybe are never at that top of the pick, maybe like a, like a New England Patriots or mm-hmm. a Green Bay Packers or something who say, hell, we can, we can get Tua, you know, 15 to 20. Like, yeah. hell yeah like we'll take yeah. that we we don't even want him to play next year you know we, we've got our guy but uh you know we'll make him sit the bench like we did Aaron Rodgers a couple years ago and we're gonna be mm-hmm. set for a decade so 
Um, I I don't think there's there's much hope that he does come back, but I certainly I see why people would be thinking that. And with him getting hurt, I do think the possibility of him coming back does increase slightly from about, like I said, 20 percent, probably down to about one percent where it was. So that probably is a big increase. But I still think he's got to be leaning heavily towards going pro. I agree. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with the receivers too, man. I mean, if Judy Ruggs and Smith all go to the NFL, then, you know, I mean, yeah, you, you got Jalen, but you know, I don't know if that's enough to entice me to come back. Um, so yeah, sit out, you know, I still think he's going to be a first rounder regardless. And like you said, you know, cause there's, there's only 32 teams. There's 32 quarterbacks. You find your, if you find the quarterback, you're, you're good. And, uh, and you're good for a long time. You see a lot of these teams and they can build around it. So yeah, I like, I like everything you're saying there. I think he does go pro, but the back of your mind, it does make you wonder, you know, just how close this team really is, you know, cause he talks about it a group of individuals, you know, sometimes you see situations where the guys are like, you know what, maybe they lose, maybe they don't make the, the, the playoffs or maybe they don't make, they win the national championship. Is there some sort of rally where these guys say, you know what, last year didn't work out like we planned. Let's do it one more time. You know, I mean, I've seen that and Nick Saban's a hell of a recruiter. I mean, that's why these boys are on that team anyway. So it wouldn't, it, you know, it wouldn't blow my mind. But uh, there's a lot of money on the line, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think uh, now that we know his injury history, you got to just get you got to get that money while you can. And I, yeah. I, I think just you just got to take that leap, I think, if you're too. Uh... Absolutely. All right, Shane, like I said, that's all I got a little bit shorter this episode. And a lot of that has to do with the fact we don't have that many games to discuss this week. But uh, we're going to hit on Tennessee, Missouri, and a couple of these other teams on Wednesday's show here. Uh, So you got anything before we hop off here, Shane? Nope. Uh, Appreciate everybody hanging out with us Uh, again. Those ratings and reviews really do help us out. If you got yourselves an iPhone, jump on there, give us a five-star rating if you would. Uh, you know, if you if you're there uh, on that train and you you see your buddy over there with his iPhone, just grab it real quick, do a quick rating and review. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, those five-star ratings help. And if you screenshot, send them to. Uh, what is it? That SEC podcast at gmail.com. There you go. Um, yeah, I'm getting it. I'm getting a hang of this thing. Uh, Mike will send you a uh, koozie of your color. Yes, sir. Free of charge. So all we're looking for is a five-star rating and review. Written review. That's all we ask. That's not a whole lot, Shane. No. No, that's... I mean, really not. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've done put two reviews, so i got two koozies at my house. So, you know what I'm saying? Mike's stingy with them things. <laughs> All right, Shane, I think that's going to do it for this one. Uh, Thanks for joining me. As always, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. All right, see you guys. Go Vols.
where Nick Saban met with the media here all Monday and... What was that? I farted. <laughs> oh, my God, Mike. Jeez. That's a loud one. You got, you got a mute button on your mic, don't you? <laughs> Smell that shit over here. <laughs>